right, good morning again. So yes, as Joel said, my name is Ryan Arnson. I'm a part of Connection Church here in Sioux Falls. I've been a part of that church where I am currently uh, pursuing covenant membership. I've been a part of, the, of that church since I've moved here to Sioux Falls about a year and a half ago. Uh, before moving to Sioux Falls, I spent my time throughout the Midwest. I grew up in Wisconsin. Spent my first 20-some years there. Then I went to college in Michigan. I spent a couple years each in Iowa and other parts here in, uh, in South Dakota. I've devoted about 11 years of my life to youth ministry. That's a big part of my life, but now, lately, I've been feeling called into church planting. So I am pursuing that program in the TPA, the Timothy Pastoral Apprenticeship, where your own Trey is also a student. Uh, but again, yes, I'm from Connection Church. And I think I can speak for everybody there when I say that we are absolutely thrilled and passionate about the opportunity to partner with you in proclaiming the gospel to this great city of ours. We are just completely overwhelmed with joy to be part of your family here. Uh, so thank you for letting us be a part of your mission. We love you and we pray for you daily. Seriously, we do. And again, thank you just for allowing me the opportunity to be up here leading you in the presentation of the word. I'm very honored, very humbled, and very excited for this opportunity. Um, so this morning, we are going to camp out in the book of Galatians. So if you want to open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Today, what we're going to do is look at a key teaching by the Apostle Paul on the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at the results of salvation in Jesus Christ. Okay, the text we're going to cover today is a mirror. A mirror. The text is a gospel mirror of truth. So, we can think of it like this. When you step on a scale, when you step on a scale, and some people don't like to do that, but when you step on a scale, scales can be wrong sometimes, right? Scales can be wrong. But the horror of a mirror... A mirror just doesn't lie. Mirrors don't lie. There's no technology for a mirror to become a liar. So what many of us do though, we step in front of the mirror and we stand at such an angle that we think, I look good right here. I look good right here. And we try to manipulate the mirror and we do. You know what? We can't manipulate God. God sees us clearly. He knows all of our angles. So here's the thing. God has given us the Holy Spirit, has given us as Christians, if we are believers, he gives the Holy Spirit who actually mirrors where we're at spiritually as we engage in a battle between our flesh and spirit and then experience the tension and the friction that comes between the desires of the spirit, which we have once we know Jesus, and the desires of the flesh that are still there after we know Jesus. So, today we are going to look at what it means to live by the Spirit, and we're going to see the fruit that results from the fight to do just that. So let me give you some context on the book of Galatians here. Uh, the book was written by the Apostle Paul, like I said. He wrote this letter from a state of deep passion and deep frustration. Not long after the churches in this region in Galatia had heard and accepted the gospel from Paul, some people followed him, some agitators came, and yes, Paul planted these churches. He gave them a solid foundation, and these churches, they came to 
faith in Christ. But these agitators came after him, and they told the people of these churches, unless you know the law of Moses, and you begin to follow it, you become circumcised, well, unless you don't do those things, well, then you're not going to be in, in the good standing with the Lord. They said, yes, Jesus died on the cross. Yes, he rose from the dead. And yes, you have life in him, but you really don't experience that life unless you go through these, these practices, these rituals. That's what these agitators were saying. So it's what we like to call legalism. We define legalism as trying to relate to God based upon our own behaviors. Trying to relate to God based upon our own behaviors instead of relating to God based upon our truth on Jesus Christ and what he's done. And there's always going to be a battle for those thoughts. And there are some religious systems even today that are built up, even on the name of Jesus, that say, yeah, Jesus died on the cross. Yes, we're worshiping Jesus, but unless you're doing it on this day, you're not really right with God. You need to follow these rules or you're not really right with the Lord. But the Bible, what scripture says is that your righteousness, which is your right standing with God, comes from what Jesus did on the cross, and you believe in that. That God gives righteousness as a free gift. Before we dive into the uh, passage that we're going to spend most of our time, I do want to look at kind of the climax of this entire book, which is the first verse of chapter 5. So we need to take a couple minutes and unpack chapter 5, verse 1 of Galatians. Uh, because this, this verse really is everything that's leading up, well, everything is leading up to chapter 5, verse 1. Uh, this is a verse that really all of us here, we need to hear, we need to be aware of, we need to constantly remind ourselves of. We all need to hear it, whether we have put our faith and trust into the work of Jesus yet or not. And by the way, let me say, if you are here and you don't call yourself a Christian yet, can I just say thank you for being here? It's awesome that you stepped through these doors. It's awesome that you're giving this a chance. So thank you. I pray that your ears be uh, listened to what we have to say today. But let's read it. Chapter 5, verse 1. It says, For freedom Christ has set us free, Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So I needed to point out this verse because there is some overlooked but yet spectacular truth packed in this little verse. Paul tells us here that we are saved and we are set free, saved for freedom. Now, I think most people, when you say, yeah, I was saved, you're like, from what? So we, we constantly talk about what we're being saved from, but Paul says that that's not the only deal. We are not only saved from something, we are saved to something. We are saved for something. So what does Jesus save us from? Well, he saves us from the fear of death. Jesus saves us from the dominion of Satan. Jesus saves us from sin's slavery. And he saves us from being a slave to the law which is what Paul is talking about here. All of that God has done so that you will have new life. He does that for a new life for you. Jesus has come to give us eternal life. Jesus didn't just rescue us. He didn't just save us from those things. I mean, thank God he did because we need to be rescued and saved from those things. We need to be saved from our sin. 
but we're rescued from those things so that we can live. He saves us to a new life in him. He saves us to become new creations. Jesus saves us from a fear-based life of slavery. I need to change my behavior or God is going to get me. We'll say things like that. I need to change who I am or God is not going to like me. I ought to just keep going. But the good news, man, the good news here, God loves humanity so much. He sent his son, Jesus, 2,000 years ago to die, 2,000 years ago to die on that cross, dying in our place for our sin. So that if we turn to him, if we trust in him, we can move from a fear-based life of slavery into a life-based, love-based, excuse me, transformation of justification, which is being declared righteous by God. We move from a fear-based life of slavery into a love-based transformation of justification by faith alone under the slavery, not under the slavery of the law of Moses. That is the message that Paul is so passionately talking about in this book. He's trying to get the Galatian churches to understand, pleading with them to keep in step with the Holy Spirit, to not stray from that love-based transformation of being justified by faith alone. So let's get to the main passage. We'll start at verse 16 of Galatians 5. Galatians 5:16. he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, this is what he says in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. All right, so let's start at the beginning there. In verse 16, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Well, we need to establish who's the Spirit. We need to talk about who the Holy Spirit is. Well, he's the third person of the Trinity who has eternally existed with God the Father and God the Son. He has always existed with God the Father and God the Son. Jesus describes the Holy Spirit in John 14, 26 as the helper. This is what he says about the Holy Spirit. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have sent to you. So after Jesus died, after he rose on the third day and ascended to heaven, he left us the Holy Spirit who lives within us to guide us into all truth by glorifying Jesus Christ. So how we, how we might describe that is like this. When you are saved in faith 
to Jesus Christ. There's an inward change that increases your desire to please God. You have an increased desire to please God, but then, as well as increasing your desire to please God, your sensitivity to him increases as well when you don't please him. To say it another way, sinning against Jesus bothers you. You have sensitivity to that. It causes grief, it causes remorse, and thankfully it leads to repentance. This was the result of the Holy Spirit shaping and softening your heart into the heart of Jesus. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the defining work of the Holy Spirit and the place that the Holy Spirit has in each of our lives. So if the Spirit, if the Holy Spirit, who we just established, lives inside of us, here's what we need to answer. So what? What does it it mean? What is Paul talking about when he says, walk by the Spirit? What does it mean to walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit? Well, very simply, it means living out the new life that you've received in Jesus Christ. That's what it means to walk by the Spirit. So when we go to verse 16, Paul basically says that if we're walking by the Spirit, you will not be working to satisfy the sinful longings, the sinful lusts and desires that characterized your life before Christ saved you. Walking by the Spirit means that you are pursuing those things that characterize your faith and your love for him. But then, yikes. So we get to verse 17, and we see that, wait a minute. So the Spirit's living inside of me, but there's also this tension, isn't there? There's this tension, there's this friction between the old self and the new self. The old man and the new man. There's conflict, there's disunity between the flesh and your spirit. And that is something that just did not exist before Jesus saved you. You didn't have that tension and conflict, but now, now it's different. Thinking about this, it's like when you get two magnets and you try putting them together and you're like, they aren't, they aren't, they aren't sticking. You know, I don't, I don't know science, I don't know why they don't stick, I just know that they don't stick. But... <laughs> You just you can't put them flush together because they keep bouncing off each other, right? Magnets do that. So what we read here, what Paul is saying is that the desires of our spirit, they're rivals with the desires of our flesh. There's a rivalry going on. It's SDSU versus NDSU or any other rivalry. I don't even know if that's much of a rivalry. I don't really follow college sports. But pick whatever rivalry you want. That's what's going on inside of us. They both want victory, but they're playing against each other. They're opposing forces. And here's the frightening thing for us. The Christian life leaves no margin whatsoever for maintaining dual lifestyles. No margin for maintaining dual lifestyles of trying to please the flesh and the spirit. Now we still sin, but what's talked about here, what Paul is getting at is there's more, we'll, we'll get to this as we go along, but again, there's no margin for maintaining dual lifestyles. So Paul, this is a man who understands the battle, right? He's real honest, about his path of uh, how he got here. So in Romans 7, if you want to turn there, a couple books prior to Galatians, I'm going to read to you what Paul said in uh, what he wrote in Romans 7, verses 18 through 25. We're going to look at the way that Paul battles through what he's talking about. He's not just laying all this stuff out on the Galatian churches if he has no experience with it. Chapter 7, 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do, 
for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law uh, of God in my inner being. Now let's pause there for a second. So what Paul is saying is, look, I love the things of God. I long after the things of God. But then as we keep reading in verse 23, it says, But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. In 24, this is partly where we get the song Amazing Grace. Verse 24, he says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then in verse 25, he wraps it up with some encouragement. He says, Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. In this passage, do you see the tension and the friction that Paul is talking about? The language that he uses to describe the Christian, the Christian life? Do you see that? Do you see the complexity in that? Do you see the anguish of where Paul is coming from? He's just angsting out on all of us here. I want to do what is right. I want to walk in the Spirit. I want to follow after the things of God. But I have this other thing that's just pulling at me. And he's real honest about it. Here's the thing. We are saved. If you are a believer, you are saved from the grave but not from the gravity of our battle against sin. We're saved from the grave, but not the gravity that still exists with sin existing in our hearts. But God is slowly sanctifying us, weeding us out until Jesus returns to remove all that suffering. Walking by the Spirit means doing and denying. Doing what pleases Jesus, denying what pleases your flesh. Some of us have kind of grown up in this era of church where we learn a lot about coming to faith in Christ. God's grace just being bestowed on us. We just need to drink it all in, be completely immersed in God's grace. And we do. We get immersed in it. We we drink it all in. But we also need to realize that our flesh is still pulling at us and tugging at us. And that requires effort not to be saved It doesn't require effort to be saved, but it requires effort to live as a saved person. Seeking to walk by the Spirit, but also just being pulled by the flesh in other directions. It's just a constant battle. Did you guys know that? Were you aware that when you came to faith in Jesus, that it was going to not be easy? That it was going to be a battle? The battle didn't start until you became a Christian. Because before that, you just didn't care. You didn't care. You didn't have the Spirit of Christ living inside you, so you didn't care what you did. There wasn't much of a battle there. So as soon as Christ saves you, it's not all smooth sailing. A lot of Christians, myself included, when I finally fully grabbed hold of the life that Christ had for me and I surrendered that to him, I thought, yeah, it's, everything is just going to come together. But that's not what the Christian life is, and that's what Paul is telling us here. Still a constant battle. So if walking by the Spirit means living out the new life that you received in Jesus Christ, what does it mean then to do the works of the flesh? What does it mean to do the works of the flesh? Because this, this is a really dark contrast. 
what it means to live out the naturally sinful desires that you inherited from birth. Let's look at verse 19 there of uh, Galatians, back to Galatians 5. Galatians 5.19 Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Now I'm guessing a lot of you, when, when I read that, that list, most of you probably do what I do, and you focus on the sins that really aren't too relevant in your life. You have very little relationship with. You kind of glaze over some of them. You know, I look down and I'm like, uh, drunkenness, orgies. I think you can cross those off the list. I think I'm pretty good there. Um, there's very little sorcery in my life, unless you count that one Harry Potter movie I watched. Pretty, pretty good shape there. We tend to be dismissive and, sn- and smug, excuse me, until we notice that these sins, Paul doesn't rank these sins. He doesn't give like sexual immorality a 10 and like fits of anger a 2. It's not ranked. These are all on the same level. But then he says in verse 21, he says, let me warn you. Let me warn you. When the Bible gives a warning, it's a good thing. It's a gracious thing. It's a loving thing. In fact, all warnings, all warnings are good. We just buck against them sometimes because maybe they offend us. They hit at our pride. But every warning is a good thing, especially from Paul here. This is a good, gracious, loving warning that he gives us. He says, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I warn you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What Paul means here, what he's saying is, if there's no repentance, if there's no fight in you against sin, then the Spirit has not taken up residence in your heart. If there's no repentance, if there's no fight against sin, Paul is saying that the Spirit is not taking up residency in you. So what we see in this passage is that there's two evidences. Paul gives us of two evidences that the Spirit of God is in you. Two things. There will be fruit and there will be fight. Fruit and fight. You're going to have fruit coming out of you and you're going to have a measure of fight in you to fight off the works of the flesh. Let's pick up in verse 22 again. So that we can come off the works of the flesh and see what he means when he talks about the fruit of walking by the Spirit and and what those things are. So starting in verse 22, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. So here, Paul is talking about characteristics. These are characteristics of if we walk by the Spirit. And notice this. Notice what he says about the word fruit. He doesn't say fruits. It's a singular. He says fruit. You know, it's not eh, the lucky ones, they get love and joy. The other lucky ones, they get patience, 
self-control. No, it's not how it's not how this works. You don't just get some and not others. No, no, no. He says he says fruit of the spirit. This is all available. All these characteristics are there for the one who has Christ Jesus and the spirit living inside of him. All nine of these. It's the fruit of the spirit. Meaning those who live by the spirit will have the very character of Christ growing and ripening in their lives. Growing and ripening. So those who belong to Christ have fruit that gives evidence of the spirit inside of them. And they have fight because they crucify their fleshly passions and desires. And this is where the tension and the friction come in, right? So let's be real clear. Let's be real clear here. The war for your soul, if you're a believer, the war for your soul has been won by Jesus. The war for your soul has been won by Jesus. We were powerless to defeat sin, so Jesus defeated sin on that cross. But until we go home to be with Jesus, we will still fight battles against the sin that still exists in our hearts. Because we're not perfect. We are being made perfect, yes, but we're not there yet. But because the Spirit now lives inside of us, we have the power to fight. Because the cross broke the inability to fight. We can now fight because of the cross. So what this tells us about Jesus and the fruit and the character of Jesus is that he is committed to his grace and his truth governing our lives. Jesus has committed to his grace and his truth governing our lives so that what results from our lives will be the fruit that we see characterized in Jesus' life. That's what it is. Because see, the result of our reconciliation, the result of our reconciliation to God are good works that produce godly fruit. That's the result. That's the result of this reconciliation. Okay, so some of you might think there might be some questions that pop up. All right, come on, Ryan. Are you saying that nobody, nobody but Christians can do good moral deeds? That's a question that pops up. Are we saying that people who don't know Jesus, what, they can't do good things? There's no morality there? They can't do good deeds? Well, certainly not. They can. They can do those good deeds, but the only people who will be approving of their morality are other people. Without repentance and faith in Christ, it's impossible to please God even when you do really great things. Romans 8.8 says bluntly, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I mean, there's just nothing subtle about that. So what we know is that fruit results from faith, not the other way around. Fruit results from faith. An unbeliever is only free to gratify the flesh, to work to satisfy the lusts and longings for things that are opposed to God. There's no fight in an unbeliever. On the other hand, someone who has been justified by faith in Jesus and walks by the Spirit is free now to be like Christ because they belong to Christ. Let's read verse 24. Because Paul says in Galatians 5.24, he says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So as we finish today, let's, let's lay out a couple of practical implications here. These practical implications, how do we do this? How do we walk? How do we be led by? How do we live by? How do we keep in step with the Spirit as people who now belong to Christ and have the ability to bear fruit 
and also be and also to be able to fight against the flesh. How do we do all that? Well, let's look at two things. The first one being we need to pursue righteousness passionately. When Paul says walk by the Spirit, he follows it up by telling us it's not going to be easy. He says there's dueling passions inside of us. So the question for us today is what is stealing our passion for Christ? What's stealing our passion? Some of us, again, definitely myself included, we are passionate about so many worthless things. So many worthless, meaningless things. I'm not saying that we can't pursue hobbies. I'm not saying that we can't have interests. But if they're stealing our love, if they're stealing our passion, stealing our enthusiasm for the Lord, it means that we are pursuing a thing that God has given us more than the God who actually gave us those things. And that's a problem. So pursue righteousness passionately. To walk by the Spirit means we pursue godliness. Pursue righteousness. And secondly, we need to kill our sin aggressively. Be ruthless with works of the flesh. Don't discount anything. Don't think that a less death-defying sin doesn't have the ability to be equally damaging in the long run. You know, a furnace and a match, they both burn. One just takes longer to consume your entire body. but They still do the same amount of damage. What Paul has clearly pointed out to us is that all sin is flesh. And Paul told the Galatians to nail that flesh, nail those passions and desires to the cross. Be aggressive, be ruthless. Locate those things. You know, if the Spirit is living inside of you, you know what those things are. What are those things that are inside of you? What are things that as I'm talking, what are those things that are coming up and giving you a slightly sick feeling in your stomach? Maybe causing you to be a little uncomfortable. Things that you are pursuing, things that you are not killing, that are stealing you. What are those things? Go after it. Kill it. Kill it aggressively. How gracious and glorious is God that he enables us by his spirit to crucify these things. Crucify these things that would keep us from inheriting the kingdom. How gracious is God. Not only does he give us fruit, but he gives us fight so that the fruit keeps blooming and blossoming and growing and ripening. So pursue righteousness passionately and kill your sin aggressively. So what has this type of mirror that we got today, this gospel mirror of truth, what has it exposed in our lives? Are we living by the Spirit? If so, are we keeping in step with the Spirit or are we like the guy in the marching band who's playing out of tune? No, no rhythm like the rest of the band. It's really, it's really obvious spiritually when we're doing that. Are we fighting? Are we fighting against our sin? Are we fighting against the work of the flesh? If you're fighting, you're going to see evidence of the glorious fruit that comes from the fight. Comes from the fight. And you know what? You have grace in the fight because though you're not always going to win the battle, you will be encouraged by knowing truth of Jesus already winning the war on that cross. Jesus is enough. 
Jesus is sufficient. He is our sufficiency. Do you believe this? Is there any fear-based slavery that is hindering your belief in Christ's sufficiency? If so, we need to repent. We need to turn away and turn towards the cross. It is then and only then that we can begin that love-based transformation made possible by Christ's death and the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Father God, we thank you so much for moments like these, passages, passages like these in Scripture, Lord, where you force us to confront our hearts. You force us to confront what vies for our salvation, what vies for our allegiance, our satisfaction. Lord, this morning we ask for your help in our fights. Help us to bear the fruit necessary to reflect you, Lord. Help us to pursue godliness, to pursue righteousness. Help us to kill our sin before our sin kills us. Help us to lean on you, Lord, for you are good and you are enough. Lord, we thank you, we love you, and we trust you with our requests. In your precious Son's name we pray, amen.